Please pray with us before we hear the Bible. Yes, I'm going to pray for us. You close your eyes. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Thank you, our God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful part of your word. Uh, Lord, I pray for us that when we ask how long, we will turn to you. Uh, please help us to turn to you now and to hear your word well and to be built up by it and equipped for every good work. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Well, it's great to be able to open God's Word with you today. Uh, you can see from behind me that I'm filming from Trinity Church Adelaide in our North Terrace, which is a great reminder for us that uh, we're part of a network of churches here at Holy Trinity. Uh, can I ask you please to have in front of you the handout that was both emailed during the week and should be available on the chat? Uh, I've printed both the Bible passage for you so it's convenient and in front of you, as well as a reasonably detailed outline that you'll find really useful to have there. As you look at the handout, you'll see on the left-hand side that I've just given a brief reminder as to why we're looking at the Psalms over the next couple of weeks and my approach. I think you'll find that helpful. Um, the key for me when it comes to reading the Psalms is, as I've said on the handout, is to remember what God is like before we ask, how should we live? To remember what God is like before we ask, how should we live? There's a few reasons for that. Uh, one is that it helps us to avoid moralism. Uh, that is, the Psalms are written to the Old Testament Jews, and, and none of us live in that situation today. And in fact, in the Old Testament itself, it's only God who's exemplary. He's the main character. So we ask what the Psalms tell us about what God is like, first and foremost. But asking that question also then enables us to see how Jesus will be the fullest revelation of God, uh, because as Christians, that's what we believe. And so thirdly then, one of the reasons why we're approaching the Psalms this way is that I want to give you the confidence to be able to read the Psalms for yourself and to apply them in our situation today. Anyway, that's enough of the background. You'll see on the right-hand side of your handout there the title for today, The God Who Won't Forget You. Where I want to start is with a pretty direct question that'll take us straight to the point. It's printed there on your handout. Which is the bigger challenge to your faith? the questions in your head, or attacks from unbelievers? Which is the bigger challenge to your faith, the questions in your own head, or the attacks from unbelievers? How might you answer this question? Why do you respond that way? Well, this short but incredibly profound psalm tries to grapple with those very issues. On the handout then, the three things that I want us to cover, what Psalm 13 tells us about God, secondly, how it points us towards Jesus, and finally, what it asks of us today. Well, point one, what Psalm 13 says about God. Uh, you'll have noticed as it was read that it, Psalm 13 has a very simple structure. It's in two parts. There's a problem in verses 1 through 4, and then a solution in verses 5 and 6. 
There's also a heading at the very top, even before verse 1. It's a reminder there that the psalms were songs that were meant to be sung. So it says, for the director of music, a psalm of David. This particular song starts by David grabbing our attention with a repeated powerful lament. You would have heard it in verses 1 and 2. How long? How long? Four times, in fact. Let me read again verses 1 through 2. How long, Lord, will you, lo- will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And we don't know the specifics of David's situation, but we do know that he was in serious trouble. And you see that in at least three different ways. Firstly, trouble with God. Trouble with God. Verse 1, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Verse 1 is telling us that this is all very personal to David. Especially when you realise that Lord, the word there in verse 1, it's in capitals, capitals. Uh, That's to remind us that this is not just God who David is seeking. This is the Lord. Uh, The Lord there, uh, the word is what we translate today as Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, This is Israel's special name for her God. And that's reinforced, in fact, in verse 3 with the tiny word my. Look on me and answer, verse 3, Lord, my God. If David's God has forsaken him, that really ups the ante. Well, the second way in which we see that David was in trouble is in himself. In himself. Uh, Look at verse 2, the first part, verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? God's silence has landed David in a dark place of inner turmoil. Now, without being trivial in any way, I want to ask you, what goes through your mind if someone doesn't reply to you, if someone doesn't respond, if they don't answer your email or your text or your post? What goes through your mind if they are silent? On David's case... It's God who has hidden his face. And so the third way in which David is in trouble, trouble with God, trouble in himself, trouble from others. Trouble from others. Look at verse 2 one last time. How long will my enemy triumph over me? In fact, verses 3 and 4 go on to expand what's taking place there. Uh, Verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my enemies will rejoice when I fall. Once again, we don't know the specifics of the situation, but it's clear that this is a matter of life and death for David. And I wonder if, Well, as you reflect on this year that has taken place so far, surely we can relate to that kind of fear and terror that has gripped our world. Well, given what's taken place, is it any surprise that David's circumstances have caused him to question not just himself, but even to question God's character? 
Let's just pause for a moment. So far, you might be a little frustrated by not knowing the specifics of David's situation. What exactly was going on to cause him to react in this way? You might be a bit frustrated by that, but can I say that actually I think it's okay that we don't know because it means that we're free, I think, to imagine scenarios where we might be moved to say what David says in Psalm 13. That is, we can't just say, Psalm 13 is just about David's situation and I'm not an Old Testament believer, let alone the king of Israel, so it doesn't speak to me. It is speaking to us today. And so to return to my original opening question, which is the bigger challenge to your faith? The questions in your head or the attacks from unbelievers? What are the parallel situations for us in 21st century Adelaide? Attacks from unbelievers? Well, I suppose that could be physical. That is, the literal experience of so many Christians around the world is of violent persecution. Or maybe for us here, maybe it's the ridicule or scorn that we endure in the face of suffering as atheists mock us especially during this season. Where is this God who you claim loves us so much? Why would he allow all these things to take place? It could be attacks from unbelievers or maybe it's the questions in our head. Questions that every believer feels. Because by comparison or in contrast, the lives of unbelievers seem so easy, so uncomplicated compared to ours. Your average Australian unbeliever, well, they're not always looking for opportunities to be able to preach sin and forgiveness. They're not always looking for a moment where they might share that very confronting reason why we need to know about God's love. It's because of our brokenness. Surely you have been tempted at times as a believer just to keep quiet about your faith. I know that I have. Well, if verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 13 outline the severity of the problem, thankfully, verses 5 and 6 describe the wonder of David's solution. The turning point in Psalm 13 comes in verse 4 with that word, but. But, sorry, in verse 5, that word, but. Now, uh, I'm no songwriter of note, But as I've read Psalm 13, I've kind of imagined verses 1 through 4, the problem, as a haunting lament in a minor key. Before in verses 5 and 6, there's a change to a a stirring, upbeat power anthem, building to a rising crescendo. Listen to what happens, verse 5. But, but, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Notice, if you will, two crucial elements to David's response to this crisis. Two crucial elements. Firstly, David never actually takes matters into his own hands. In Psalm 13, David never actually does anything except appeal to God to intervene. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I will sing the Lord's praise. David doesn't take matters into his own hands. So in fact, to speak of David's solution is not strictly true. It's not actually David's solution because David can't solve his dilemma. Rather, he knows that he needs God's deliverance because he cannot manufacture his own. Second thing to notice about David's response to this crisis, even though he confidently calls on God to not forget, to not hide his face, to answer, to give light to his eyes, David finishes the song without telling us if God actually intervened. In other words, in Psalm 13, there is no promise of when God will act, just a confidence that he will. To give a parallel, I guess it's kind of like the easing of lockdown restrictions. All of us know that eventually they will end, but we don't know when. And to be honest, that's a large part of the turmoil or the conflict that we feel. Instead, Psalm 13 simply concludes with David's resolution that he will trust in God's unfailing love and that causes his heart to rejoice and for him to sing the Lord's praises. I love the progression in verses 5 and 6. In just two short verses, I printed them there for you on your handout. The progression, trust, rejoice, sing. Trust, rejoice, sing. And remember, psalms were songs that were meant to be sung. David is singing even now. Well, of course, the big question in Psalm 13 is why? Why is David content to trust in God's unfailing love? Why is David content to wait for God's timing and not run around trying to devise his own solution? Well, look one last time with me at Psalm 13 and at verse 6. I will sing the Lord's praise, says David. Why? For he has been good to me. He has been good to me. Verse 6 is saying, what God has done before gives David confidence about what God will do again. What God has done before gives David confidence about what God will do again. I printed there on your handout, the basic tenet of modern psychology is the best indicator of future performance is past behaviour. The best indicator of future performance is past behaviour. It's something I keep repeating because it's so easy to forget. And it's easy to forget because, well, we value living in the moment. And yet it's so easy to feel overwhelmed and flooded in the moment. That's why Psalm 13 is telling us the only sure way to plan for the future is to remember the past. The only sure way to plan for the future is to remember the past. And again, 
to give an illustration that will resonate with all of us who wear glasses, and, you know, sadly, that's more and more of us. Uh, glasses wearers know about multifocals, you know, the things that enable you to see both near and far simultaneously. Actually, what Psalm 13 is saying is that we need divergent lenses, things that will enable us to look, enable us to look in two directions, both behind and ahead at the same time. Psalm 13 is saying that we have a choice. David has a choice to make now as he awaits God's intervention at some point in the future. But that choice is based on what God has done in the past. Will he sing the Lord's praises, no matter how he's feeling, regardless of what others are saying to taunt him? This is not encouraging a naive denial of the reality of hardship of our present circumstances. This is not telling us to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that nothing is taking place. Living by faith is hard at times. It is right for us to lament, how long, O Lord? But Psalm 13 says that right here, right now, we have a choice to make. And in just six short verses, we see David choose to move from dwelling on our circumstances to praising God's character. From dwelling on our circumstances to praising God's character. We see David move from desperate petition to heartfelt praise because our God will not forget us. Well, there's some reflections on what Psalm 13 tells us about God. Much more quickly then, how does Psalm 13 point us towards Jesus? Jesus, who is the fullest revelation of God. And of course, there are so many ways. As I've read and reread Psalm 13, well, I think of Jesus being attacked by Satan in the desert. Where is your God now? Or I'm reminded of Jesus being full of sorrow in his heart at Lazarus's tomb and at Gethsemane. But above all, I think of Jesus' final words before his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. How reassuring. Jesus knows what we're enduring, for he has trusted our Father's unfailing love. And how wonderful. The Father did not abandon the Son. He raised him to life. So we know he won't abandon us either. Well, what Psalm 13 says about God, how it points us towards Jesus. Thirdly and finally then, what does Psalm 13 ask of us today? What does it ask of us today? Well, one last time, Psalm 13 is a song that's meant to be sung. Uh, which is one of the ways in which I think it's meant to shape us and to shape us in this week ahead. Now, it's kind of like humming a tune when you leave church that continues to affect you in the week ahead. I mean, surely, is that not one of the greatest griefs that we're experiencing at the moment about not being able to meet together? Psalm 13 is a song. It's meant to be sung. Now, 
by me going on and on about this, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you today. Uh, I wouldn't do that actually if we were meeting in person, so I'm certainly not going to do it on a video that's going to go out on the internet. Uh, that would not be memorable for any of the right reasons. But I do have a practical suggestion about this song that will help us to remember it this week, and I'll come back to that at the very end. In many ways, what makes Psalm 13 so memorable, I think, is the fact that it's a lovely blended three-part harmony. It's a lovely blended three-part harmony. In those six verses, there is an honest expression of David's thoughts. There is the pain and hurt of his enemies' attacks. And there is the praiseworthy character of our God. Three different tunes blended together. I hope you realise that we need all three tunes to give us a full picture of life. We need more than just unison. Because though a single voice is lovely, a trio or an ensemble is even more spectacular. Psalm 13 is telling us that the Lord is in every minute and moment of life, both the highs and the lows, both despair and delight. Which means that no matter what season you find yourself in today, it'll be okay if the God who does not forget us is there with us as well. And yet I do want to ask, which of those three tunes do you hear most clearly? Which is the one that's most likely to be ringing in your head as you go from this service back to the week that lies before us? I have to admit, in some ways, the how long, the fourfold how long at the start, that's pretty memorable. But it's the conclusion in verses 5 and 6 that we're meant to have ringing in our ears because it's the conclusion that stops us from morbidly dwelling on our circumstances and instead moves us towards thankfully praising God's character. We do have so many reasons to praise the Lord for he has been good to us even in the midst of coronavirus. Our God has put us in Australia, of all places, in South Australia, so relatively unaffected on a national, let alone global scale. We live in a country that has the best medical system in the world. We have governments that are dishing out money to help people get by. We have shops that are still full of food. We have Church Online, which, for all its limitations, is something that previous generations of believers could never have imagined. One last time, don't mishear me. Psalm 13 is not offering a naive, simplistic message. It's not saying, ah, look, everything's fine. It's saying everything will be okay because God has been good to us and he will not forget us now. We don't know when. We don't even know how he'll intervene. But we can still sing his praise because he has a good character 
for he is a good God. It's okay to cry out, how long, Lord, provided we're doing so confident that he will not disappoint. It's sort of like, if I can put it this way, the question that every kid asks on a long car trip. (laughs) You know the one, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They're asking because they know that eventually the wait will be over. They don't actually doubt the destination. Well, if you joined us today on Church Online, we're so thrilled that you found your way to us, particularly if you're not a believer. Uh, This is one of the reasons, actually, why we've persisted in this format. I hope that what you've heard today gives you a glimpse, an inkling, into what real, genuine, empowering faith looks like. And I hope that in hearing something of that, you might ask the Christian friend or family member who encouraged you to check out this service. Or if you've just found us randomly out of the blue, stick around afterwards and have a chat online with uh, some of the staff here. On the other hand, if you're watching this service as a believer, as a member of this church, can I encourage you in this week ahead, remember David's progression in Psalm 13. Trust, rejoice, sing. And I want to urge you to sing this song this week because we have a better tune than our world has at the moment. As you know, I spend most of my time working with students and right back at the very start of when uh, things started uh, being closed and locked down, I was talking with one of our student leaders, a second year med student, who was telling me about a friend of hers who every week for the last year she had told her about going to ES, to the campus ministry, and her friend never said anything back to her, almost just ignored the whole thing. She never said anything at all until when all this started happening and a friend approached her and said, I think it's about time I asked you a little bit about religion because I need a reason for some hope and I can't see that there's any going around at the moment. Well, here's my suggestion for how you might have the big idea from Psalm 13 ringing in your head in this week ahead. It struck me that verses 5 and 6 give a great shape for how we are to live as believers. And so my suggestion is going to be that for you, for this week ahead, when you get up in the morning, before you get out of bed, say verses 5 and 6 out loud. Say verses 5 and 6 out loud. Because it seems to me that if you started your day with that intention, there's every chance that you might actually live that way. Let me finish by reading it. In fact, I'm going to ask you to join me in reading it. I know we're all in our own living rooms at the moment, but grab verses 5 and 6. If we're in, if we're in, um, in church together, we do this all together, so let's just do it now. I'm going to get us to read verses 5 and 6 as a reminder for how it is that we might live every day in this week ahead. Will you join me in saying together? Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's do it again. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Amen.